So we are, uh, as, uh, as Rob said, we are in this Rooted series going through uh, Romans 12 together. I know many of you are in small groups that have been uh, walking through um, the, the Rooted guide and the challenges that we've given each week of being rooted in Christ, rooted in uh, community, rooted in our identity and calling the gifts that we're meant to carry. And all of it is pointing us towards this way of life that Jesus is inviting us to. That we are called by God, at, together as a community, the body of Christ, the living example of Jesus here on earth. The visible expression of an invisible God. To be a people of blessing. Say that word with me, Blessing. 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 Whenever I think, hear that, I always think of Christmas vacation, you know, the blessing, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> now that's going to be in your head every time I say that word, and I am going to say that word a lot today. But you're going to want a Bible and uh, go on and turn to Romans chapter 12. If you need a Bible, we have some folks that are walking around and they will pass out Bibles, just slip up a hand and we will get a Bible in your hand so that you can follow along. Romans chapter 12. And today we'll actually be starting in verse 14. But I'm going to uh, actually uh, step back a few verses and to start with verse 9. In this transition, Paul, having written to this church, trying to come together around the gospel, a, a church that he saw so much potential to, to, to be a launching point for the kingdom out to the ends of the earth. But he knew for them to actually step fully into the role God had called them to be in the world, they first needed to be grounded, rooted in who God is and what he has done in the gospel, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus that united them as one people despite all of the, the divisions and the hostility, the chaos and the craziness in the world around them. God was calling them together under the authority of Jesus Christ, knitting them together as his body here on earth. And so as, as he's called them to be transformed, renewed in their thinking by the spirit of God in their life. And I hope that those of you that have stepped into that rooted challenge have incorporated some of those aspects of what does it mean to be renewed by Jesus daily in the way that we think, the way that we see the world, to be transformed in our mind, not conformed to the patterns the image of this world so that in being transformed, renewed by God, the voice of God in our life, we are able to test, in other words, to experience, to encounter the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And from that renewed mind, God, uh, uh, Paul then exhorts them to think rightly about themselves, to not see themselves, think of themselves more highly than they ought but rightly by the grace given to them. And then as they see themselves clearly, as they see his handprints all over their story, his identity, who the, he, God has made them to be, who they are in his eyes, he's bringing them together and, and, and calls them to be a body united. That you're all members, you belong to each other. And as members of this body, you all have a gift to give a role to play. There is something in you that God has hardwired into your soul when he knit you together in your mother's womb. 
when he saw every day of your life before one of them would come to pass, there is a gift in you that you are intended by God to carry into the room that the rest of us need. You are not a waste of space. You are not a mistake. You are not insignificant with nothing to offer. You are a child of God who God gave everything for to adopt as his son or his daughter, to call you his own, to reveal your true identity, who you really are because it is who he made you to be. And when you walk in the room, there's something he has put in you that the rest of us need. Do you believe that? Can you receive that from God? And then from that, the, the, the point of all of this is God is, is for, uh, transforming our mind, forming us together into a body, carrying these gifts that he has given us, is to move us towards love. Not love simply as an emotion or a feeling, infatuation or fondness, but love as sacrificial, humble action that seeks the good for another. And so Paul writes in verse 9, love, sincere, genuine, without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be lazy in zeal, but fervent, boiling over in the spirit and serve the Lord. And so rejoice in hope, be patient in trial or tribulation, be constant, consistent in prayer and that conversational relationship with God. Contribute to the needs of the saints, give what is needed to one another and seek, pursue hospitality. And then he continues. After giving this picture of what it looks like to live as this new family of faith, in those previous verses, how we're to love one another. He then turns our focus from this body that we're called to be with gifts for one another, meeting each other's needs, showing up for each other to the way that we are to engage the world. And Paul writes, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep, with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or prideful, but associate with the lowly or take the low position. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. And so if possible, so far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. So do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me read that last verse. That's a rich passage. But do not be overcome by evil. The word there is the word victory. It's actually, if you are wearing Nikes right now, that's the Greek word for victory. Do not let evil have victory. But instead, may your victory come with good. We 
We are called to be a different kind of people. Actually, I would argue that we are called to be the people that God had envisioned from the very beginning. In Genesis, when God formed man and woman and set them in a garden to live in relationship with him and with one another, to multiply and be fruitful, to have dominion over the earth, to unleash the potential of this world, to live in harmony with God and with each other. That what Paul is alluding to, what Jesus is inviting us into, is to be the kind of people that God has always intended us to be. I think it's a misnomer to say that God is creating a new community. No, he's just simply calling forth the true community. Just the same way he's not giving you a new identity in Christ, he's actually just revealing your true identity. In all of these ways, we've taken on these false names or, or, or ways of being or ways of relating. And, and, and God is saying, you know, set those aside that you might live into the way you were always intended. In fact, in the way that your heart longs for. It's why we tear up when we watch a movie and a family comes back together. When, so, when the person that was lost all of a sudden shows back up. It's, uh, it's those moments in the halftime games when, when they're honoring a family who's, uh, whose husband or, or wife is serving overseas in the military. And they're like, thank you for your service to the country. And their children are standing there. And then they turn around and they see that their soldier is home. And you watch them drop everything and sprint into each other's arms. Does that stir something in you? Because we were created for that kind of life, that kind of abandoned, wholehearted way of loving and receiving each other. But we live in a world of woundedness and defensiveness where we're told to, to, to back off, to hold on to what is mine, to protect yourself, to defend what is yours because there's not enough. And you don't know if you're gonna have enough tomorrow, so make sure you hold on to what you have today. And by holding on, you better hold on no matter what the cost is to anyone else around you because they're just out there to take from you. And your role is to get what you can from them. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You were never intended to live that way. You were never intended to live in fear and hiding, shame and guilt burden though you were called created to be a people of blessing free and confident because you are known and seen and loved by the king of this universe and yes we live in a broken world and yes traumatic things happen and on, on this earth, we will face pain and difficulty and struggle. But that's not the final chapter of the story. And so we live as a people that belong to a greater king. We live as a people loyal to a, an unshakable kingdom. And so we can enter into a room, not from a place of scarcity, but from a place of abundance. Rooted in the love of God. And I can show up for you in a way that I need nothing back from you. And if you reject me, it actually changes nothing about me. 
if you hurt me or even kill me, it doesn't change who I am or who I belong to or where my story is headed. And the invitation that the early church was living in was that invitation to be those kind of people. And that early church, in the face of some of the most atrocious persecution in the history of the world, flourished in ways that we haven't seen since. Bless those who persecute you, Paul writes. Now, it's an interesting thing that he is doing here because throughout from verse 9 through 13, the, the form of all of those verbs, verbs is, this, uh, is this present tense verb. It's be this kind of thing. Let, let this thing be your reality. In other words, this is the kind of environment God is creating, uh, this persistent, present way of being. The first command actually doesn't happen in this whole passage until verse 14, and that is the word bless. Everywhere the assumption is, is that you would be a people who are loving one another in brotherly affection, outdoing one another and showing honor, praying and rejoicing, contributing and showing up for each other. But then Paul comes in with this command and bless. Bless. And bless who? Bless those who are seeking to harm you. That word persecute, it literally means to pursue or run after or accuse. It's actually used in two different ways in the Greek, and it's interesting because Paul uses them side by side. It's the same word in the previous verse where it says, seek to show hospitality. And if you remember uh, the, what we talked about last week, the word hospitality doesn't just mean uh, like opening your home to family and friends. It's literally the word, it, it translates, love the stranger. And so the word there, the same word at seek, pursue, to be people who love the stranger. And then the immediate next verse is, bless those who pursue you to do harm. Now, we see all throughout the scriptures, depending on the context, it's the exact same word, but we, that we're called to be people who pursue the things of God. And we are also recognized that there are those that are pursuing us, that we're called to be people who pursue good, even as there are those that are pursuing bad. Literally, to drive out or to expel to accuse. In Acts 26, 11, Paul talks about his own life saying, I, being furiously enraged at them, talking about the Christians, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities, going after them with the, with the goal of causing harm. And so Paul writes this radical phrase that we are to be people that pursue the good of others, even those that we don't know the strangers and the outsiders. And we are called to be a people of blessing for those who are pursuing us to harm us. Is that our reality? Does that describe our church? And not just Grace Monroe, but the church in America, the church in the world, 
blessing is, uh, is uh, uh, literally the word there from the Hebrew, it comes from the word barak, which means to bend the knee. It's a lowering of oneself in order to lift up another. It's speaking words of life. To curse, and there's three commands in there. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, again, the command, and do not curse. And the word curse comes from uh, the, the root, actually, is, uh, is the same word as like to, to, to block up a stream, to cause water to flow to a trickle. And if you imagine the people that live in a, in a desert land, water is life. And so when we use our words to block life in somebody, when you use our words to cause harm or to predict a, a negative future or to call a negative identity, that's what it means to curse. It's not just simply to use cuss words. But this is who you are. You are a loser. You're worthless. You're never going to amount to anything. We all have been on the receiving end of curses, and unfortunately, we all too often use our words to cause harm, to hurt, to wound somebody else. And Paul says, use your words and let your life be one that brings blessing to others, even those, or maybe even especially those who seek to cause you harm. So even right now, just so it's not this like theoretical interesting exercise or theological point I'm making, like who's somebody in your life right now that you would say is actively trying to hurt you, to keep you from something, to accuse you, to demean you, to embarrass you. They've used their words or their position to take from you, to misuse or abuse you. Just think of somebody. And there's not somebody actively now, praise the Lord, but somebody in your life that's hurt you, that seeks to harm you, that is pursuing, uh, pursuing you in a way to take, to wound, to drive you out. Now the world, the worldly wisdom would say that you have every right and in fact should seek the harm of that person. Get your vengeance, protect what's yours, Go after them in the same way that they're going after you. In fact, actually probably take it up a degree to really show them who's boss. If they call you something on Facebook, call them three things. Really prove to the world that you are the better person by making them look like an idiot. But Jesus, and God, uh, Paul here, and we'll get to Jesus in a second, because Paul's not coming up with these ideas on his own. Paul here is actually saying, what do we do with those kind of people? What do we do with those kind of people? We bless them. Now, that's one of the most ridiculous, idiotic, upside-down things I've ever heard in my life. Amen? Anyone else? I mean, that's a nice thought, you know? I mean, but that's how people get run over. That's how people get embarrassed. That's how people lose jobs. 
That's how people become the laughing stock of their neighborhood or their friend group. Jesus is saying, no, there's a different way. There's a different way of being in this world where you use your, your words, your position, your influence to actually seek the good of those who harm you. And in doing so, we're trusting in a God that is able to take what was meant for evil and turn it into something good in ways that we could never predict or manufacture for ourselves. Paul obviously is getting this as a, as a person who, a self-proclaimed persecutor, cursor of the church from Jesus, the very one that he persecuted. Jesus, who said to his disciples, that anyone can love the people who love them. But I'm telling you, Jesus says, to love your enemy, to bless those who curse you. That the real mark of our discipleship is not how kind we are to our friends. It is our sacrificial, humble love for those who hate us. So what does it mean to bless? Well, there's a beautiful story if you want to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 19. Jesus doesn't just teach or talk a good talk. He actually lives out what he's talking about. And verse nine, and chapter 19, at the very beginning, we get this familiar story. And in this story, we actually get a pretty clear picture of what it means to bless somebody. He entered Jericho, being Jesus, and was passing through. Interesting enough, Jericho, this place known for battles. And so this is how Jesus is going to fight his battles. Uh, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now, he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Just right there in that description, Zacchaeus' identity is one who hates his fellow Jews, who's actually exploited and taken advantage of, enriched himself in, uh, in his position by taking advantage of those in a low position. Everything that, that Jesus embodied and was different and, and, uh, and represented different from, Zacchaeus represented the opposite. He represented the empire. Uh, he, he represented... Um, Abuse, and he represented those who used their power to wound others. And so what does Jesus do when he encounters this man who represents so much evil in the world? Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. There's some spiritual curiosity there. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. I love that the Bible includes, like, this part of this story is that, Jesus, uh, that Zacchaeus was a short, a little short guy. Now, it's interesting because, I mean, if you've grown up in church at all, this is one of those, like, Sunday school stories. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Anyone else? Y'all know that song? But I think the Bible's telling us something a little bit different beyond just simply his actual height. 
but the state of his soul. Zacchaeus was a little man. And I've met little men in huge bodies. And I have met little men that have lots of wealth. And I have met little men that the world would say have everything, but inside they are a tiny little man. But there's something in this little boy, Zacchaeus, that had taken advantage of and oppressed and stood on top of to make his way to the top to get what was his. Inside that little soul, there was a hunger and a longing that probably no one else could see. That despite everything he had, there was still something he was missing. And somehow he'd heard about this Jesus Somehow he'd heard about the miracles, the ways Jesus had showed up for others, and he thought, maybe, maybe this Jesus could show up for me. But the crowd keeps him from encountering Jesus, and I just wonder how often our religious uh, activities actually keep people from encountering Jesus. Our excitement to get what we can from God that we don't see the people around us who desperately need to get to God for the first time. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowd that is, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And so how do we see, or where do we see blessing in this story? It's right here, verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. What does it mean to bless? Well, to bless is to see someone and to call them forward. And I know I talk about blessing a lot because I think it's, it's critical to the kind of community we're called to be, a people blessing in this city, a people blessing in our homes. And uh, I share the story of, the, you know, every August I go to this father-son camp with my boys and at the end of, or the last night, there's a sort of campfire experience and a big part of that is uh, when we, is this um, act of blessing. We speak a blessing over our sons. And we see biblically all throughout the, the Old Testament that, that to bless is, is to use our words, to call by name, to, to speak life into somebody, to call them into a positive future, God's best for their life. It usually involves some form of affirming touch a lowering of oneself. And so even as we sit by the, or stand by that fire, my boys will stand in front of me and I will kneel there in front of them. I'll put my hand on their shoulder and I will call them by name and I will say, I see this in you. And I call this forth in you and I want God's best for you. And I'll use words specific to each one of them. 
and I am with you every step of the way. Everything that I have for that you could become the things that God has for you. I see you. I know you. I love you. I'm with you. That's what it means to bless. And in the same way, Zacchaeus, uh, Jesus stops long enough to actually see the man that no one else could see calls him by name and calls him into a greater future, sees something in Zacchaeus that no one else could see and releases him into his God-designed destiny. That's what it means to bless. And now it's easy to, to think about blessing when it comes to our own family, for me to kneel in front of my sons and want the best for them, for God to work his fullness in their lives, for them to become all the man that God created them to be, to experience God's blessing and to, to commit myself to walking with them every step of the way. They're my sons. Of course, that's what I want for them. In fact, it calls us to be a people who bless one another, that see for one another maybe what we can't see for ourselves as brothers and sisters in the faith, to remind us of who we are. No, no, this is who God says that you are. I see this strength in you. I see this gift in you. You're not alone to bear one another's burdens, to welcome each other in. But Jesus takes it this radical step forward. And he says, we're not just to be a people who bless our family. We're not just to be a people who bless those who are like us. We're not just to be a people who bless those who like us. We are called to be a people who bless those who hate us, who despise us, who disagree with us, who don't look like us, who don't think like us, and in fact are opposed to us to desire God's best. Now, God's best often includes a, a recognition of our own brokenness. Even in this act of Zacchaeus, it isn't just simply like, oh man, you're awesome, you're doing fine, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep taking advantage of everyone, Zacchaeus. Keep getting richer, buddy. All the money, I pray God's blessing on you that you could have all the money in the world. Is that God's best for Zacchaeus' life? No. The best for Zacchaeus' life is for him to have an honest encounter with God where his heart was broken and he recognized that what he'd been given was meant to be given. To honestly confront his own pain and his own sin, that was God's best. And so when we're praying a blessing for those who hate us, it isn't just simply, God, keep them the way that they are. In fact, tenfold. If they're a jerk, ten times more, God. If they're taking advantage or cheating or wounding or abusing or creating uh, trauma and hurt, it isn't to say, God, just keep them in that and let them be successful. It is like, let them have an encounter with you that your best works itself out in their life, that the kingdom of God would be fully expressed in their soul, in their relationships, in their vocation, in their world. And so God, we bless them. God, we want their, li their life to be wrapped up in your life. We want them to move from death to life. And God, we see the, the things you've put inside of them to release into the world. And we name that. But I do wonder how much of our lives that we spend that we just don't even see people. The most common ways of 
or see people as people. <laughs> There's come ways that we see people as objects, not as people. As we see others as tools, vehicles, obstacles, or irrelevancies. Like how many of the people that we encounter on just a regular basis do we see not as a human with hopes and hurts, fears and needs, gifts and celebrations, but as an obstacle, somebody who's keeping me from getting what I want or what I think I need. Or even at our best, when we see people as tools or vehicles, somebody that's simply there to help me do what I want to do or get where I want to go, not as a person in their own right. How often even in our own homes, just we see our spouses as an object for our good and not as a person in their own right with hopes and hurts and celebrations and fears, needs and disappointments, much less the person that is actively trying to wound us or hurt us or embarrass us or take advantage of us. And the invitation of God is that we would become a kind of people that speak blessing into this world even in the face of adversity and hatred. But to do so, Paul's already built the foundation that we, the only foundation we can stand on. This isn't just simply muster up and go be nice to people. This is Paul saying, root yourself in the kind of community where you're not alone where your needs are being met one by another, where your gifts are being called forth. And we can only root ourselves in that kind of community when we are first rooted in our God-given identity, the thing, who he calls us to be. And we can only be rooted in that God-given identity and that, the giftedness that he's placed in us when we are first rooted in him as his son or his daughter. Rooted in Christ. Because as long as we are still striving, as long as we believe that we're alone in this world, as long as we're weighed down by the, the burden of our own sin and guilt, we will live as orphans as lost and alone and scared. But when God showed up in the person of Jesus, he made a definitive statement that I'm here and I am here that you can be with me in every moment, that you're not alone, you're not forgotten, when he went to the cross, it was that we would be forgiven that nothing would separate us from the love of God. And I wanna take just a minute as, to pray together as we shift into worship and just create space as we come to the end of our rooted series to just ask God, what is he wanting 
you to know. What is he calling you into? And first and foremost, the question is simply this. Have you received Jesus into your life as your Lord, as your Savior? Have you received the forgiveness of your sins that Jesus died on the cross that you could be forgiven, set free? Adopted into his family. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus as king? So I just invite you just to close your eyes and just search your own heart. Is God calling you simply right now just to receive him? to just recognize our need, our own brokenness. That 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked this earth and went to the cross and his blood was shed, he saw all of your life. all of the ways that we fall short of what God has intended. And he took it to the cross so that it could die there with him. And three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death and inviting us into this new resurrected way of life so that the old would be gone and the new would come. So even in your own heart, just to receive Christ to say, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. <laughs> On my own, I am broken, selfish. I need you. Will you receive that free gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ? That your life would be rooted in him. Or maybe for you as having been rooted in Christ, you've lived as if you're alone. And what are the ways that God is inviting you to see yourself as a brother or a sister, not just simply a son or a daughter? Who are the people God is bringing alongside of you? And if you, are, if you don't know who that is, just ask him, Lord, will you bring a family around me to walk together with you? that you belong to this body. You're not alone. You belong here.
take a moment if you need to just pray and ask God to show you the way forward, to root you in his family. And rooted in his family, he has given you a gift. that the rest of us need. And so even now, just to pray and ask him, Lord, will you show me? What have you put inside of me? Who have you made me to be? Even ask him, what name do you call me? Who am I to you, God? him for the courage to step forward in that gift for the sake of others. Or maybe having been rooted in Christ and recognizing that you belong to the, his body, having been given a gift to carry, to represent him in some way to this world. He's now wanting to turn you outward from that place of confidence and security, of love and acceptance, to enter into this world, to be a person of blessing, to do good in the face of evil, to speak words of life in places of darkness and death. How is God calling you to go forward to love humbly, sacrificially. So as we worship together, we invite you from this posture of receiving, of being rooted in all that God has for you. When you're ready to come take communion, from this common loaf that Jesus took and broke and said, this is my body given for you. We're reminded that we belong to each other and that Jesus with us gives us all that we need. And then we take from that cup that Jesus said, this is my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, the blood of a new covenant. Take and drink, and every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So as we take of that common cup, we recognize the forgiveness of God poured out for you, poured out for each of us, binding us together in him. So Lord, do with us in this moment whatever you have. Tune our ears to hear your voice to respond to you, however you're calling us forward, to root us in your love. In the name of Jesus, amen.